I'm Tara. I'm Ryan. We love Disney movies. So we decided to watch them all, from Snow White to Frozen 2 and beyond. Each episode, we'll watch a different Walt Disney Animated Studios film and tell you all about it. Did we like it? Does it hold up? Who's our favorite hero? Or villain. We'll give you history and fun facts about each movie. And sometimes, we'll invite our friends to watch along with us. So put on your tiara. Or your evil crown. And join us on our adventure. This is Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Hello, fairy tale friends. We're back. Uh, we're back. Tara and I are back, but we're also here with uh, a special guest, someone who is just just a, a, a mainstay on the podcast scene. Uh, <laughs> my my co-host in uh, uh, our Frasier podcast, Craniacs, ladies and gentlemen, our friend Laurel. Hi, everyone. It's. I was just ex- explaining one of the things I feel like you know. I, I Tara made sure I did, wanted to make sure I didn't put down any of other other guests. Mm-hmm. But so, most of them have not done podcasts before, so like we kind of had to like we had a weird energy at the beginning, or like we had to kind of get them into Figure it out or the explain tech the, the tech things of it. Yeah. And I'm just so happy you're here because from the get go, y- you know what you're doing. <laughs> Such a pro, yes. Um, I'll be, I'll be, you know, holding a YouTube tutorial on how to host a podcast. So. <laughs> but uh, today we are looking at uh, 1955's yes. uh, Lady and the Tramp, because uh, we have a dog named Lady, and Laurel has a dog. Is where is Leo? He's usually sitting behind you on the couch. I know he usually is. No, he's over um, to my right uh, on uh, on his chair by the window, that, and and asleep, of course, not looking out the window, but asleep. He's camera shy ever since I had a, he said he had a big caboose on Craniac. So. You fat shamed him and oh, he has not it's forgotten never been it. the same. So sad. Uh, well, the synopsis for this one, I'll just do a short synopsis here because some of them are a little bit longer. But the romantic tale of a sheltered uptown cocker spaniel dog and a streetwise downtown mutt. <laughs> uh <laughs> So I love that the way that it's kind of describing it almost like a romantic comedy a little bit. But uh, it got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was budgeted for $4 million and it made $187 million when it came out. So, but, Like back no, 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 in 1950? No, 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 no. Not when it came that's out. Not, oh, when okay. I looked that up, that's what it says. So I that's, that's not that's, right. That's total like because, total. Yes, that makes the, more sense. But Yes, for the for – because the, the highest uh, – Grossing film that year was ten million. Okay, so, so it, it made six six point five million. Okay, so what I will argue is when you search what did it make like at box office, it like gives you that main number. Well, so. one thing you got to remember is Disney. One of the reasons these movies make so much money or are high up there is Disney re-releases everything. Yeah, for a while. So I, I apologize, listeners. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I guess to date it has made one hundred and eighty-seven million. Hey, hey Tara, everyone who's listening to this loves you. Everyone knows we're we're lovers, not I experts. Just, like, I know you. Yeah. you get real nervous when you're like i think i made a mistake but yeah. it's not we, we get it okay uh so the top three of this year were cinema cinerama holiday mr roberts and battle cry now i know mr roberts so wait question when you say the top three movies are these the top three grossing movies of 1955 yes i've never heard of any of these movies oh yeah this, i haven't either so for a heads up mr roberts is really good it's uh peter fonda james cagney and jack lemon and it's i think it's the big thing is it's like james cagney's first role in a comedy so 
he did uh, Yankee Doodle Dandy. Well, I'm er- wrong then. Earlier, I, I, now I don't. It's that wasn't necessarily <laughs> that wasn't necessarily a comedy, but Yankee Doodle Dandy's the first time he didn't play the bad guy. Like, cause he was known to play like the mobster. So Yankee Doodle Dandy was based on George M. Cohan's life. He wrote Yankee Doodle Dandy. Give my regards to Broadway. A bunch of other songs. This is essentially so. like James Cagney comes in and he's running a battleship, and Peter Fonda is like the guy who all the rest of the crew likes and he's like second in command and he's mm. subverting a lot of James Cagney's. The, uh, the thing I remember the most is Jack Lemon is, is also under James Cagney and he's a kiss up, but at the end he realizes James Cagney sucks and James Cagney, the whole thing, he has this plant that he loves and the big scene is he takes his plant and throws it over the side. Spoiler alert for 1955's Mr. Roberts. <laughs> yeah, it still may be the movie. first one he was a comedy because Yankee Doodle Dandy mm-hmm. was more like he sang, he danced, yeah. but like he did a lot of things that people hadn't seen him do before, and that was in the early 40s. I don't know so. if I said this. Lady in the Tramp number six that year. Number six. Yes. In oh, he did not say that. Yes. Okay. So it was it was in the top ten. It's essentially we could tell that's what we've been finding if a if a movie was if a Disney movie was good is if it cracked the top ten that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so this one is, we were talking about this one being the story of a dog. I watched, again, as typical, I watched the uh, making of, and this, there's a couple things about this, uh, I think that are interesting. The number one is, this is based off of Walt's, the town he grew up in as a kid. Yes, I read that in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah. So some of the scenery and things like that is like his childhood home. Born in Chicago, but moved out to this farm in Mm -hmm. Marceline. And that's kind of where he got all these ideas. Apparently they do this big thing where he had a tree he would sit under and he just loved sitting and looking at the tree. And then he started drawing and that's where that kind of started. As you all may remember, when I host trivia, the last category is clue round, and it's always a person, place, or thing, and I give clues that get slightly more, slightly easier as it progresses. And a few weeks ago, Walt Disney was the answer, and so I actually read a lot about his early life in Missouri mm-hmm. and how, like, his first art art job was, like, drawing a picture of a, drawing a doctor's horse for him, and that really is, like, what... <laughs> oh, interesting. Like, ...got him interested in, like like drawing an, an art as like a career kind well, of. Well, This um, is something we talked about in an earlier episode that I don't know if you heard, but he actually in a very kind of Captain America-esque way uh, joined World lied about his age so he could drive a, a ambulance in World War One. And he oh. his big thing was he drew like on the side of it so they knew which one was his. Interesting. The big thing interesting, was... Th- interesting man, honestly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um... He, uh, so this one also was kind of known as being kind of a throwback film. Like, it's supposed to feel like this kind of, bi- like, in 1950, it's interesting to me that it's a throwback film to even earlier. I believe it takes place in the 30s. I think, oh gosh, I mean, there's still, like, a horse and buggy. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't, it might I even feel be like earlier than that. be earlier. There is a car, Maybe. but the, yeah. it's a super old-timey car, and there's, yeah. and there's still horse and buggy, so I wouldn't be surprised I- if it's more like the aughts or maybe yeah it could be uh we'll have to look that up yeah it didn't come across in my uh research but the other thing that's interesting about this one is it is in this time period one of the few disney animated films that was not based on a piece of literature that already had come out the one uh before this was dumbo 1941 was an original story well, no, well Dumbo was, was that, based on... It was based on that weird book, but I think they yes. bought it like almost right out the gate. Yeah, as far so as I can tell, this is the first... This is the first one that is 100% original. They mentioned Dumbo, I think, because it wasn't based on like a famous work of literature, yeah. but it was based off of that. It was that book that like 
was in a box and it was two scrolls and you like yeah. twisted it and it moved. It was so weird. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, so Dumbo was based off of that. And then uh, for this one too, what I found interesting is Walt was pretty insistent that they do a narration of the story. So this story came out in a like novelization, like narration form. Yes two years before the film came out to get audiences familiar with the story. Mm-hmm. So to get them excited about it and connect it to the story before they release the movie, which I found interesting. interesting. Yes. Well, so I have a little bit more about this story because this seemed to be a big, this is one of the mo- the most scandalous things I've seen in this series of, I, the, the series of um, making ofs I keep watching is like the same people. They all seem to be done in kind of the nineties when I think these were all coming back out on VHS or maybe even DVD. I don't know. And uh, um, this is the one. So Joe Grant, I believe his name was. It was the, Joe Grant was the um, animator we talked about in an earlier one who left uh, shortly after Cinder, uh, uh, um, Alice in Wonderland, mm. and then came back for like Pocahontas and stuff like that. And so his like at the oh end yes, of his he life, came back yeah yeah later in life yeah he came back and did all that. And part of that was because he had a big argument with. Um, Walt. Supposedly, in this thing, they talk about Walt didn't want to do Alice in Wonderland, and Joe was one of the guys who pushed him to do it. And so when it didn't do very well, he kind of blamed it on Joe, and they they kept dividing. But he wrote a story based on his dog back in the 30s. He wrote the original draft for Lady and the Tramp, and it was mostly about like just this dog who a baby comes into the picture, and they feel weaseled out, and there's a very, very different story. But Walt hated it and said he like he did a whole treatment of it and did storyboards and stuff and walks like i don't like it and then joe leaves then they start making this movie and they start pushing to the press um there's the the scene at the beginning of this movie where they find lady in a hat like the the husband gives lady in a hat box to the wife and um walt goes oh i did that to my wife and that was the impetus for this story and apparently Joe was like, oh, whatever, like didn't really care, but was kind of like, you stole my, you know. So you that's st- interesting because I've read a couple different accounts of that. I read an account that Walt missed a dinner date with his wife. And so he made it up by giving her a dog and right. a hat box. And then I've read another story that said he gave it to her on Christmas. That was like almost the identical right. story. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He started pushing that story. as like, and that gave me the idea for Lady and the Tramp, which was in the like f- late 40s and 50s when he said this. And the original draft was back in the 30s. And, Interesting. And apparently that was a big reason, like, Joe was like, I'm done with Walt Disney. Apparently the person who was the most upset about it was Joe's wife. Yeah. apparently, like, at every dinner party was like, Walt Disney this. That would be me. I would remember when we were at the pharmacy with your medicine. That's a, a sidetrack story we don't need to tell. So I think I would be her in that situation. I would definitely... Uh, want people to know i mean because again i feel like too especially now like all these years later walt disney is very romanticized and i'm not Mm -hmm. saying he wasn't talented and he didn't like he is a creative genius but like there is another side to him that some people talk about but it is also like revisionist history like walt disney the company has a lot of money that they can like you know, they can kind of change the way things were perceived along the way. Joe Grant doesn't have a story credit in this. Like, there's a lot of things. That yeah, was- I, I, I totally agree about the, like, revisionist history of Walt Disney. I feel like he's now portrayed a little bit as almost like a kind of Mr. Rogers-esque character. Like, very folksy. And well, I, I feel like there is, you hear a little bit about the, the 
different scenarios where he doesn't come across in that same light. Yeah. Walt Disney is a man and Walt Disney is also a Disney character at this point. Yes. Yes. True. True. But going back to uh, Lady and the Tramp, there was also a little bit of drama, like to kind of segue into your, I, I don't know that drama is the right word, but Peggy Lee, so she uh, sings throughout this film and she helped write the music with Sonny Burke. They wrote the majority yes. of the music for the film. And supposedly she sued Disney later on for breach of contract. She claimed she still uh, retained the rights to the transcripts. And this was back in 1999. And apparently it was a really lengthy legal battle, but she eventually was awarded $2.3 million. I remember when this happened because on the Today Show, as they were like segueing back into like from a commercial break, they were playing He's a Tramp from Lady and the Tramp. And they were like, you may be wondering why you're playing that song. This, you know, movie released in 1955 just had a legal decision come down where she had finally been awarded money from it. Yeah, I found that really interesting because I didn't recall that and that she like she very like adamantly fought for it mm-hmm. and then was awarded money for it as well. Well, it's it's because in all the stuff I saw on that thing, all the, all the old things they did, it, they very much pushed like we got Peggy Lee. So obviously she was, you know, a big get for them. So for them to hold money is. is yeah. Bad. Well, and here's the question. What would I what are some other songs Peggy Lee has done? Oh, um, boy, you've asked. Like, here we go. Oh, you don't know off the top of your head? I have to. I'm I so wanna, sorry. I didn't here's mean to set you up like that. I was just so I excited do, for an old musician. I do, question. but now after I made my other mistake, I don't want to make a mistake in what I do for a living. Okay. So I'm so, going to. So I, I Fever, the, Fever's her big one. She okay, did a version yes. of Fever. Um, yes. And I'll look up some more, too. Because I realize when I think Peggy Lee, I often end up thinking of songs are actually Patsy Cline. Um, and mm. so I was like, wait, like, I want to say like, oh, walking after midnight. And I'm like, oh no, that's Patsy Klein. So, um, okay. Fever. Yes. Um, so just in a, a little, uh, tidbit I have about that. Eric Larson was the, uh, animator who did peg. And apparently he used to say that his, this was his favorite, uh, experience as an animator because he got to spend a lot of time with Peggy Lee and apparently everyone else, like all the, like Frank and Ollie things like, oh yeah, he had a big crush on her. Oh, that's and like, funny. She, so there's like a picture of her, like. Leaning, it, it doesn't look, I'm going to describe it as going to sound more scandalous than it is, but it's like him drawing uh, Peggy, or uh, Peg, and Peggy Lee like leaning over and pointing. It's obviously a thing. And you can tell he's kind of got like moony eyes about her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh boy. But because she was very involved, she was really excited about this and was very involved in the in, in the character and stuff. Yeah, well, and they say here that she was like the first instance of a superstar voice in an animated film, but that's not true. Like, it's, sometimes we read these facts and it's like every they time repeat. they repeat because yeah. Bing Crosby was Headless Horseman and we have like a whole slew of like very famous artists for the time. But I think that maybe she was the most involved yeah. at, up to this point. I would that, say that, that, that right. that's, I would uh, agree with that statement, not necessarily that she was the first big voice in a Disney film. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised that she was, I mean, I'm surprised she was as involved as you're describing, like involved in the animation and everything. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, how much of this is, I don't want to say propaganda. I would say, but, though, yeah. if she went up for that lawsuit, she felt like she, well, you she know, wrote, was owed. She, she voiced, I mean, she. Four characters. Yes, and then wrote a lot of the music with Sonny Burke. She's both of the cats. She's the the mother or the the wife. The darling, right? Yes. Yeah. And then I had no idea. Y'all that... are blowing my mind about a movie that I feel like I know really well. <laughs> we did. I, it's fun. Like we've really. I, it, yeah, I... we kind of go down deep dives. And speaking of voices, so Verna Felton, who's my gal, oh. 
Uh, she has voiced the Queen of Hearts. She has voiced uh, the Fairy Godmother in Cinderella. One She's voiced one of the catty elephants. Um, she is Aunt Sarah in this movie. And what I found interesting about this is her son, Lee Millar, is Jim Deer. Oh. So her son voices Jim. And her husband. Who's a, Jim Deere? The, the husband in the Lady husband in Lady and the Tramp. So he voices the husband in Lady and the Tramp, and then her actual husband, his father, occasionally did Pluto's voice in some of the shorts <laughs> until he passed away in forty one. That's crazy. So they're so a like family. they're a family of voice actors for Disney. She's the most prominent because she's yeah. in. I believe she's also in Jungle Book, and she's in Sleeping Beauty. Um, as uh, one of the fairies as well. And so, yeah, we first heard her voice in Dumbo and I recognized her voice right away mm-hmm. and was really excited to hear that voice and was trying to pinpoint it. And so as we've been going through the movies, it's been exciting to like hear her voice yeah. again. So, yeah, because yeah. we just also don't really have that very much anymore where there's somebody who's like part of a little troop and well, that they go back to. You know, Fraser Cheers connection. John Rattens- Ratzenberger is in like every single Pixar film. <laughs> And, but that's almost a gimmick now for yeah, Pixar, yeah, yeah. where like yeah. you try to spot him in the movies. So, um, let's take a step back for just a second from facts because I realized we haven't really talked about Laurel's experience with this movie. And yes, I, I, I you did say the yes. other day when we were recording, check out episode seventy six of Craniacs, um, <laughs> where we were recording that this is one of your favorite movies, and I think you met Disney movies, but like, tell yes, us why, so, tell us, what yeah, you remember about so. It. Um, to me, this is, um, one of my family's probably top five Christmas movies. This movie starts and ends at Christmas. So for us, it falls under the criteria of (laughs) being eligible as a Christmas movie. Um, and so I started watching this movie. I think Ryan, you've talked before about like watching movies that were taped off of the Disney channel and you Mm -hmm. know exactly where the different commercial breaks are. Yes. My parents probably still have the VHS that... It has like a label slapped on it and written on it in Sharpies as Lady and the Tramp. Um, that is how I grew up watching it. I um, have just always loved this movie. I, I don't, I can't tell you how old I was when right. I first watched it. I was probably three um, or something. Um, I've always been a dog person. And so I think this was really endearing to me. And yeah, this movie is just, it's been one that I, we felt we watch almost every year at Christmas. Um, I, but we have a Lady and the Tramp Christmas ornament on my parents' tree. What's it um, like? It's 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 Lady and the Tramp, and then there's a Christmas oh, yeah. wreath around them. Oh, um, that's sweet. Yeah, I've been to um, at Disney World. There is a restaurant called Tony's that has. Um, is there really? Yes, it's it's a fine dining restaurant. At Disney World. It's not really one you take your kids to. There's not going to be like Mickey and Minnie showing up right, or anything. Right, right. Um, and outside of it are two sets of paw prints. Um, oh, I, I love that. I think it says L and T or something like that out front. It's yeah, it's very. I'm kind of bummed I didn't find that in my. In your research, because I was well, so happy that finding that Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, well, we can post about it on the yeah, Facebook page. We'll post. A review up. I, I'm pretty sure I have a photo in one of my Facebook albums from a trip to Disney World of yeah. those. Um, yeah, feel yeah, free I to just, share it. I definitely will. I just this movie has always been. I I've always felt like it's one of the underappreciated Disney movies, and it's not one of the animated ones that people talk about a lot. And so I remember growing up, so many of my friends had never seen it, and I was just like, "Lady and the Tramp." It's so funny to me because it's got that iconic scene that's which which is interesting. So the scene where they're they're having the date and they're eating spaghetti. The Bella Notte. The Bella the Bella yes. Notte. Um, 
Frank Thomas, they pitched that, and Walt said that's never going to work. I Yeah, work. I had that in my notes and, as well. And then Frank Thomas drew it anyway and said, this is what it's going to look like. And Walt went, oh, yeah, that does work. So that scene almost didn't happen if yeah. Frank Thomas hadn't gone into it. Um, but it's so funny to me how iconic that scene is. But, like, you know, we're going to talk about the villains in this movie. And I went, who are – I don't know who any of the villains in this movie are. Like, I don't know – I don't remember you, anything. I don't know. Have you this... seen this movie? Because when we were talking about it and getting ready for it, I feel like you don't have any memories of it, I... which doesn't mean you haven't seen it. I've seen it as a child. I remember liking it as a child, but I've not seen it in many years. Well, I think it's similar to what Laurel was saying, where she doesn't remember the first time she saw it. And I was going to say this. That's a lot of our guests. I'm like, what's your first Disney movie? Or what is the first time you saw it? And they're like, I just kind of lived in this world where this movie always existed. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if I've seen it. You know, do have I seen it or is it just in the zeitgeist that I just mm. think I've seen it? I think I have. Yeah. I remember enough about it. But I also remember the other day I think I was going, oh, it's there's a bunch of like there's a whole thing where all the dogs are barking throughout the town. No, I think that's 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, that's 101 Dalmatians. Yeah, yeah. like I think I just yeah. like no Disney dog movies. I don't know. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've seen 101 Dalmatians, but I mean, we that's... talked. I, I think we talked a little bit on Craniacs maybe yesterday when you were getting me ready for this podcast. I, the Aunt Sarah is one of the villains mm-hmm. in this movie. So, but there is not your typical Disney like monstrous villain. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and also in some ways the situation. It's like the situation is a villain a yeah. lot of the time. So that's what I, I kind of remembered, but yeah, it's, and that might be why I didn't like it so much growing up because I needed like captain hook or something like yeah. that to, to really capture my interest. Yeah. Um, guys, I'm so excited to watch this movie now. I just I think you have like favorite parts. Yeah. Do we want to just hop right in. I think we're good. Yeah, that would be fine. Oh, uh, I have, I have one more thing. Okay. You know me. I always have one more thing. Uh, with the because we always talk about like when they use real animals mm-hmm. to help animate. Mm-hmm. Apparently, the fight uh, between Tramp and the rat, the animator Wolfgang Reitherman, Reither- uh, Reiterman, I Reiterman, Reiterman, Wooly, uh, he kept rats in a cage on his desk mm. so <gasps> he could like animate them more realistically. So we always try to touch on that. Like for Dumbo, they and they looked at real elephants and. Bambi, the same thing with deer. Yeah. And so we always try to, to mention that. So I wanted to mention with the rats, they were pretty, fo- he was focused on that. Well, and, and a little bit of a jumping ahead very far in the Disney catalog. Um, I, I remember what a big deal it was for the Lion King, that they mm-hmm. brought lions into the studio, that they went to the San Diego Zoo and drew the meerkats. Yeah. Um, I so I feel like Disney does have that really good attention to detail. There was also something I, I I'll need to look it back up on the uh, making of where they talk about that rat fight and they're 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 talking about the psychology of him doing mm. those fights where he goes I want it I he goes I the the end is Tramp wins the fight but I'd like to draw it as if when I draw it I think that the rat's gonna win the fight so that way the the uh, audience doesn't quite know interesting yeah like the, the audience it's, it's not a given that Tramp's yeah. gonna win uh, I'm ready if you guys are. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Let's do I'm, it. I'm so ready. I'm so <laughs> All excited. Right. So, uh, listeners, we'll see you on the other side. All right. We are back. And I thoroughly enjoyed this one. What did you think? I've, I mean, yeah. Guys, I've I've watched this movie annually. Like it was a, it was a it was a, yeah. So for you, it yeah. was a true delight to watch it not at Christmas because I think I um, 
got to focus on other parts of the movie. But I mean, I, I didn't cry, but I definitely laughed a lot. As, as I told y'all, as we started watching, I had goosebumps as the movie was starting. So um, what about you, Ryan? I liked it. I don't think I liked it as much as you guys did, but I definitely liked it. I was telling Tara, she was like, we should put this on at Christmas. And I was like, I don't know that I would like choose to watch this movie, but I definitely would be like, oh yeah, sure. If someone else, if she wanted to watch it. I have a strong memories of my parents and I often decorating our Christmas tree with this movie on in the background. It's like, a, cause it's, it's short. Ah, it's an yeah. hour, it's oh, an hour yeah. and 18 minutes. Mm-hmm. And well, that's the thing is it's longer than the other ones we've been watching. And I thought it felt shorter to me. Like we got to near the end. I went, oh, is it almost over? Yeah. Yeah. We got to, I forgot that the part with the, catching the rat in the house and everything happens like immediately after she's taken from the pound. It's because when that happened, I was like, wait, we're close to the end. And I like popped it up and it was like, Oh, you have 20 minutes left. That is exactly exactly where we did it. Except. Yeah. I was like, wait, the rat, rat? I thought the rat was the very end, but I forgot there was a whole scene with trusty and, and Jacques, which let's start off. I think this whole like world of like, I I love that Jacques, a Scottish terrier with a very Scottish voice has a, French name because the owners just named him that. So I watched it with closed captioning, um, and in closed captioning, his name was Jock, like J O C K. Oh, it's not Jacques. I have always thought it was Jacques, but the closed yeah. captioning was like J O C K. I was like, oh, okay, huh, okay, interesting. Well, never mind. I thought that was just funny that the idea of a Scottish terrier having a French name because yeah. just the, the owners like that name. Well, and speaking of like this kind of world um is and y'all would know this due to the, your podcast is this one of the first disney movies where like we see an entire world like according to like an animal like that's one thing i think this movie does really well is like other than aunt sarah the adults the faces are not really drawn very sharply and you don't see them a lot you see a lot of people from like the knees down yeah and that was done purposely to make it from their point of view mm-hmm. um with Bambi. dumbo well, Bambi doesn't. It doesn't have. Yeah, Dumbo humans, has humans, so. but you see them. Yeah. Um, and the clowns and stuff, you see them like top to bottom. But this is the first one where the animators made a specific choice to animate it from the perspective. of Okay, the that's Mr. what I. That's what I was. So suspecting. I think Mr. Toad started off that way, but then kind of went away from it. Yeah, but I don't think there was any active decision. Yeah. I think this is the first time there was an active decision to change that perspective because I think you see that. A little bit with 101 Dalmatians. It's not exactly the same, but I think they give the dog's perspective a little bit. But I loved not only the perspective from the dog's point of view, but just they captured dog personalities so well. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that that's something that throughout its canon, Disney does really well. Like I think Finding Nemo, you know, kind of like what would the fish world look like and cars and stuff. Mm-hmm. I just think in yeah. Toy Story, I think they do such a good job of showing either a similar world that's in a different like species or how other like for toy story how they view our world but like you bring up a good point of all the cameras were very low and everyone was the 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 humans were standing out of frame and then Mm -hmm. even i don't think they ever really you ever really get a good shot of of jim deer and darling no another thing i love that they're the, the dogs think that's their names based on it's like the pet names of the of each other yes yes do you want to get started? You want to start yeah, from, the, from so the top? From the top, we notice this is the first time we've seen the iconic blue background with the Disney castle that I think we all grew up with. But this is the first time on Disney Plus we've seen yes. it. I don't know if it's the first time it was used in a movie. That looks too modern for this movie. Yeah, but I'm ha- wondering we'll have to why do some they, research yeah. as to like when that 
kind of debuted, but this is the first one on Disney Plus where it opens with that. This might be an it might be a new digital print of it. It maybe may something. This definitely. I think this is the first time I've seen it in CinemaScope. I think when when I used to see it, it used to be you know the, it being and we didn't we actually didn't talk about this. We didn't you and talk, I talk about CinemaScope, but the widescreen. Yeah. Do you want to talk about it real quick? Yeah. You can't. You have more information on it than I do. So it was essentially a new kind of rounded a little bit screen that gave you more length and an area to work with and they kind of did it as they were producing this movie and walt was like oh this is going to be in cinemascope and then uh roy i believe did the numbers yeah roy roy is always the one who tells walt he spends too much roy money. goes we're gonna lose all this money if we do it this way because not every theater not every movie theater is equipped, is equipped to show a cinemascope movie. so walt went okay well we'll do both so there are two versions of this movie where they completely re-photographed the animation but they moved ever all the characters are much closer together so it's not just cropped it's they literally re they redid it shot it like they just moved the cells closer together to to, to huh. create that so there's so i think this is the first time i've seen it I, I don't know i may be making it up because of the uh uh because uh, of doing documentary the but it just it, everything yeah. felt very wide and had these these because they would draw these huge backgrounds anyway for these movies and then they could only show part of it so now they were finally able to show all of it at once mm -hmm. and you could move left to right and do this whole thing but anyway let's no let's, that's fine no that's great uh but yeah so it opens with bella note being the song which i think this is the first time it's a song that's used again because usually the opening credit songs we either like with cinderella it was a song we didn't really remember Alice in Wonderland had one, so they were kind of like an intro song, but yeah. not used throughout mm. the movie at all, but this one was. And the opening credits, I always love the opening credit scenes, but this one was a lot of like, they almost look like pen and, or pencil and ink yeah, sketches. Like, yeah, like, sketches of the thing, whereas yeah. like, they're usually very stylized versions of the story you're going to see. Mm -hmm. Like the, the Alice in Wonderland looked like the Mary Blair uh painting sheet yeah and, and cinderella like had a very unique look but mm -hmm. these looked like actual drawings that they used for the film which I yes. thought was kind of cool uh and then there's a dedication in the beginning and it says in the whole history of the world there is but one thing that money cannot buy to wit the wag of a dog's tail and it is josh billings a late 19th century American humorist, I believe. Let me just double check. And on then, that. yeah, so it says his name. And then the next uh, quote here is So it is, so it is to all dogs, be they ladies or tramps, that this picture is respectfully dedicated. So I thought that was a sweet dedication to all dogs and dog lovers out there. Yes. Um, by the way, wanted to point out, looked it up. This movie is supposed to take place uh, starting in like 1908. So this, I'm glad you pointed that out because this movie reminds me a lot of, um, in kind of the way it's shot and especially the beginning, um, the, the way the credits are run at the beginning reminds me a lot of Meet Me in St. Louis, which came mm, out yeah. roughly around the same time. And that fits into this whole genre of nostalgia movies that were mm -hmm. really popular then right after World War II. And, you know, yeah. everybody wanted to think about those good old times and like Americana and back when, you know just things were easier. And so there were a lot of movies set in like pre 1910 in this mm -hmm. time frame. But so after the dedication, it opens and this is how it opens and this is how it closes. So I think it's really cool that it kind of comes full circle, but it opens on a snowy scene. And as you're zooming in, you see the neighborhood and you see some of the different houses and you zoom in 
on uh, Jim Deere and Darling's window and you know it's Christmas because the Christmas tree is up and it goes right to the hat box. And uh, Darling thinks it's the hat that she's seen in the window. She thinks it's the one she's been admiring. And we find out very quickly that it is Lady, uh, a puppy, a Cocker Spaniel with this big red bow. And she looks so cute as a little puppy. She's so sweet. By the way, the original lady that was the the dog that inspired this was a Springer Spaniel, not a Cocker Spaniel, but they like the Cocker Spaniel coloring better. Interesting. Well, and also the Cocker Spaniels have just the most magnificent ears. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Springer Spaniels look almost exactly the same, but they're like that kind of um, Australian bluehound, like gray and black, like kind Mm. of pebbled look. Yeah. And I don't think that really worked well for for animation or for design but they mm. wanted so they went with this instead yeah and just to stick it to joe grant some more <laughs> so so yeah so she they're given this puppy and they're not like the best dog owners because no it's kind of like they get this puppy this brand new puppy in the evening and then it's like okay it's time for bed and so they put her in kind of like the kitchen area i guess and they put her in this basket and then they put a newspaper down and just like, okay, good night. And then like go up to bed and just kind of leave her be. And of course she goes through the door. It's one of those push open doors. Um, and so she goes through like a, a door on hinges. And so she goes through the door and that happens a couple times where they keep walking her back. And then uh, Jim Deere puts a chair in front of the door and is basically saying uh, to Darling, like, we have to show her who's master. We have to show her who's boss like early on. And so it's this whole back and forth, and Ryan's rolling his eyes. This is exactly like Lady was not allowed to sleep in the bed. Although Lady didn't sleep in the bed for months, and then we went on vacation uh, to San Antonio, and we were in a hotel, and I was like, "Well, it's vacation. We'll just have we have a bigger bed. It was a king size bed for the hotel, and then that that was it. She still doesn't sleep in our bed all night. We let her into the bed in the morning. In the morning, and that's when I go up and I go and I sleep in another bed because I have no more room to sleep in the bed that I work hard and pay for. Oh my goodness. Well, so um, I, I, I wrote down pretty much the same thing that when he's like, okay, just for tonight, and he like lifts Lady up. So Leo sometimes can't jump on my bed. He doesn't get a good running start. He doesn't make it. So if he ever starts out the night like on the couch, I'll wake up at like 2 a.m. to this thudding and I'll just look over and his little paws will be clutching the side of the bed and he'll just be looking at me and he'll just be kind of like "Ah!" desperate (laughs) and so I just like lean over and like pull him up into bed but um I was I was the same way as you Tara Leo did not sleep in my bed for probably about 14 months and then I started letting him sleep out of the crate on the couch and then he would usually make his way over to my bed and then cling to the side Okay, yeah. you just said you were like Tara. Let me point out that Tara from day oh, one day wanted one, the I dog would have in, the in the bed. And I, I was the one who was like, no, Ryan we have to draw the, a hard yeah, line. I see. And then, the line, as with so. all things in this house, I start off as the like master and I quickly become the... Lady's like, a great snuggler, so I have no <laughs> yes. regrets on that. But um, The hierarchy of Tara, Lady, Ryan was created fairly early. Yes, but the other thing that was super fun about this is as we were watching, our dog Lady usually does not respond to dogs barking or whining or anything on, on television. television. Yeah. And when Lady the puppy was whining, uh, we have a video. I have a video that we'll post on the Facebook page and I'll send it to you, Laurel, so you can see her ears. But her ears were like alert and she was like trying to figure out where the puppy was. And it was just so funny because usually she doesn't react. She she you know, she felt she feels a connection to Lady from Lady and the she Tramp, must. obviously. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, so basically what happens is this whole back and forth of putting her away and then she pushes the chair out and she goes up the stairs 
and she sits at the bed and then they say just for tonight and so they tuck her into the bed and then when it's morning you realize she has grown so it's like six months later uh and, and she as is a still child up. i thought lady grew overnight <laughs> <laughs> i mean that's not an unreasonable uh thing because it is very quick it's like the next shot is her big yes yeah. I, I, and you're right. She's supposed to be about six months old because they talk about in the next scene that since she's six months, they need to get her a license. Yeah, they need to get her a license and that's when she gets her collar. Mm-hmm. So, but the, you see the whole like morning routine with Lady. She goes to put the slippers on uh, Jim Deere and then when he like looks out the window, I don't know what signals to him out the window or maybe he's just waking up, but he's like, we need to explain to the Lady what Sundays are, which I thought was kind of a funny thing. We are very fortunate our dog will not get up until we get up like she will be lazy with us she gets up at about seven or eight but just to come into the bed just to get into bed not to like i want to eat which it's time to get up i don't know if leo is he like ready for his food at a certain time nope he sleeps later than me i usually have to the same way i have to like today he got up at 10 because i went in and picked him up out of bed and was like we need to go outside because i need to like start my day Yeah. So yeah. That, that nine times out of ten, that's what yeah, I can count on one. I don't even need one hand the number of times he has woken me up for like the day. Yeah. So, yeah. So this is showing, I think, what most dogs routines are where dogs are up and they're ready to go. Mm-hmm. And you see, you know, they've got a doggy door. So she runs out and she runs through pigeons and she's playing out in the yard and she buries her bone. And I love the little bit where she. Uh, digs up a flower and then flips the tulip upside down after yes. it's been dug up to try to put that it back. Yes. So I thought that was so funny. But this is where we first see the rat. So the rat mm-hmm. comes like sneaking around and she chases it off. Uh, then she gets distracted by the paper boy and she catches the paper. And as she's trying to get the paper through the doggy door, it like is too wide for the door. And when she gets it through, it rips. And then Jim Deere has that comment about since they've had lady well the the headline was like catastrophe strikes as disaster looms or something something. and the headlines ripped out and he's like ever since we've had lady uh we haven't have you noticed we don't see as much bad news or something something yeah and he's like reaching through it to get his coffee which they then give lady like coffee and a donut which i'm like hold up (laughs) i know i was well i mean i often wonder what happened if leo ever had caffeine i feel like he might be like alert for once but (laughs) yeah i was about to say i think I, don't give your dog a donut because I'm not sure, but definitely don't give him coffee. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, but but it's showing that they dote on her quite a bit, right? Uh, and then we are introduced to Jock. I'll say, and but I mean they say Jock. I feel they like, do but, say yeah, yeah. Uh, but we're introduced to him, and he has got like a lot of bones. He is what, hoarding. What a is whole he singing? Pile. Oh, he's singing. He's his singing Lock Lomond. Yeah. He's singing Loch Lomond, which is a Scottish oh. song that I sing yes. sometimes. But then he's changing but... the words like, the the bonnie bones in my Yes, backyard. yeah, yeah. It's the melody of Loch Lomond. Because yeah. I watch it with captions, he's talking about, he's like, uh, talking about where how he finds where he buries his bones. He's like, oh, that's he's like, great. Four, four steps down and two steps to the right. And <laughs> da, 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 oh my God, I he's love like, that. It's like, with X marks the spot in the backyard. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's oh, adorable. Awesome. It's adorable. Uh, so that's this is awesome. where my love of Scottish Terriers began. I am obsessed with Scotty dogs. I love them. I want one. I, it's all, it is all due to Jacques. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And his voice is another famous voice. Bill Thompson, who was Mr. Smee in Peter Pan and the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Oh, And wow. also the voice of the British Bulldog. Yes. Not the oh, wrestler, wow. the Bulldog. Yeah. 
So yeah, we've this voice has become a very familiar voice to us since Alice in Wonderland. So it's been kind of fun, and it's in a row, right? These those three movies came out. It was yes. Alice, then Alice, Peter Pan. This oh, Cinderella's in there. No, Cinderella's before before Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Yes. That's right. And he's also going to be King Hubert in uh, Sleeping Beauty. Oh yes, great. Oh wow, excited for that one too. Which is next? Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, and then we get to meet Trusty, who is such a good hound dog. <sighs> oh my and gosh, he's sleeping and and. He's like... I have a controversial opinion on Trusty. On Trusty? Really? I like Trusty. If I never hear that joke about, like, what my grandpa... Oh, like, yeah. it was a funny joke, but every time he did it, it was such a slow delivery. I was like, all right, we get it. You don't remember... Uh, like, and then at the end... You know what, Ryan? Some people get old and don't remember mm-hmm. when they told stories Yeah, but before. I don't have to watch a movie about them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love this whole bit where he's like, he's, you know, on a hunt in his dreams and he's sniffing around and he's sniffing the caterpillar in his sleep. Yes. And this is where we find out that um, he's lost his sense of smell. So Jacques didn't want to bring it to Trusty's attention, but kind of whispers it to Lady to let her know uh, that she's old enough now that she should understand that he lost his sense of smell. Well, and one that's one thing that my mom and I have always bumped on with this is the way that they talk about Trusty losing his sense of smell is like the way we would all talk about, I don't know, almost like like somebody being in denial about some great medical condition they have. Like, oh, like, yes, uh, they're, I, I, I'm trying to think of a good example. Like somebody's like alcoholism almost or something. Like it's time you knew. Yeah. I, I'm not going to quote it right now because I haven't read it in a while, but like a dog's sense of smell is like, 10, 20, I forget how many more times than a human's, yes. like what they can smell oh, yes. and the way that their nose works, that they're able to like smell things that they, like different things are happening all at the same time mm-hmm. with that sense. Oh yeah. Dogs. It's like their most important sense. Yeah. So I feel like it kind of makes sense that they compare it to, to like a grave medical condition because it's like yes. one of the most important things for them. I also just like their relationship and they're kind of like this old, not married couple, but like because they, they both seem to be older and they both seem to be like looking after each other and i just like jock seems like don't say anything about his smell like yeah, he's come like on, really like, concerned about yeah yeah his, his friend mm-hmm. i think that they are two of the strongest supporting characters in some of the animated disney movies they're, they're really until you good. get to the later ones they're really good sidekicks i would I'm say i'm a big another jock jock and gus gus I oh think, yeah may they have are also really them. good too Oh, yeah, they're, they're, the yeah, they're good. Mm-hmm. And so then it kind of cuts to after that whole scene, um, Jim Deere, I, I guess it's a different day or maybe it's the same day. I don't know, but it, it appears he's this, coming home from work. Yes, because Tara's like, mm-hmm. I thought he said it was Sunday. Like, yeah, so real. it could be a different day. I don't yeah. know, but he, it looks like he's. I think it is a different day because he says at breakfast they need to get Lady a collar and license. And then you see Darling putting it on mm-hmm. her. I got the sense that a few oh, days passed yeah, while she got sense. the collar and license. So. so, so yeah, he's coming home and you kind of see that routine, how she greets him. He gives her a treat and all of that but and just the unbridled joy she has over like greeting jim deer it just like warms my heart it's so sweet and then it cuts to um you know she's sitting at their feet uh by the fireplace and them talking about like how things couldn't get better and we you know we love this dog so much and just like being very happy about their life and then it cuts to tramp sleeping in a barrel so it's like this very like, this comparison of like what lady's life is like and then we're seeing tramp in this railroad like this rail yard in a barrel but also seeming like he's enjoying life when he wakes up so i i, I think either milt call or frank thomas was in charge of uh tramp 
And I just remember them talking about how this scene with Tramp where he just starts off is such, they're like, this was such a, like, this was almost the, in, in video games, we have a thing called uh, vertical slice, which is where you do one tiny part of the game, but you take it all the way as if you're going to ship it. And then you can do everything else based on that. And that's what this felt like. It's kind of a vertical slice where it's like, this was the, their earmark of, of animating dogs. Mm. Of it looking like everything. This was what they were striving for was this perfect scene of him waking up and stretching. The way and he taking stretches. Some, and yeah. then like when he gets wet, like the water, when he's and drinking, shaking it, it, it off, shaking but, it off. but yeah. still having this Disney anthropomorphic personality. It's interesting because I always assumed tramp was old because he almost looks like he has a mustache. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just, uh, put dignity and respect oh, on the on the on the people with people or dogs with mustaches so mm. no i just i honestly thought he was just kind of an older dog because because for uh, listeners who may not know ryan he has a mustache oh, so gorgeous. if that wasn't clear <laughs> but like because because jock has one it looks like yeah and yeah. he's supposed to be older so i don't know i just thought about that now as he felt young watching it now but when i was young i always seemed to think that tramp was older mm. Well, and then that's kind of, we kind of see his routine. You know, now we, we've seen Lady's routine, so we see his routine, and he's looking for breakfast, and that's when we find out he goes different places on different days of the week. And that's when we're first introduced to Tony's, the restaurant, but we're introduced, it's Joe, right? Joe is the... Yeah, Joe is the, yeah. like, the sous chef, I yes, guess, or they, that, the, the assistant. And so Joe you know, gives... Authentic Italian name, Joe. Yes. Well, Joseph. <laughs> I was going to yeah. say Giovanni. Or Giovanni. <laughs> Joseph or Giovanni, yeah. Like, my grandfather's Joseph. He's 100% Italian. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, to, uh, Joe gives him a bone, and we find out that they call him Butch, which I really like that they mm-hmm. have, like, a nickname for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then we – this is when we're first introduced to, I would say, one of the bad guys, which is the dog pound. The dog catchers could be considered mm-hmm. a villain well, as well. I don't know if I consider them I, one and, of and the And Sarah villains. is the villain for yes. sure. But the dog pound also is, like, this – looming thing that like the yes. dogs are always on the lookout for and so you, you see them hang that's where i kind of feel like it's a little bit of what i think i mentioned before we started like situational villains yeah. where it's like yeah we can't have stray dogs running around so like it's kind of like yes it's a villain but it's like well but you understand why yeah. they need to catch these dogs yeah, they were also like nice like they went and got lady and brought like they weren't like yeah, they weren't... They're just civil servants. That's yeah, it. they're doing their job. But to the dogs, you know, yeah. from the dog's perspective. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. And so, basically, uh, we find out, you know, they are hanging signs and about an unlicensed dog. So that's where the whole thing comes into play about, like, having a collar and having mm-hmm. a license and how important that is. And so he helps his friends escape who are in the back, and that's the bulldog Bull and... Uh, and Peg. And Peg, Yeah. And uh, then that's when he's chasing the dog catcher to cause a distraction. He ends up in what he calls Snob Hill. And Snob Hill is where Lady lives. And so uh, they come upon the next scene we see is Trusty and Jock. And they come upon Lady pouting. And she's really upset um, because she says the owners are acting weird. And we hear Darling being very sing-songy. She's putting a plan out on the window. And she describes these two situations with both owners. She describes the situation with Jim Deere where the routine of greeting him when he comes home from work, he completely ignores her and he says, uh, darling, darling, are you okay? In your condition, you shouldn't be walking that dog, which that kind of uh, puts a, a time frame on it, referring to it as your condition, but... Uh, yes. Also, that is one thing that my family and I quote a lot is that 
dogs. Like as the ultimate insult to Lady. Because Trusty and Jacques are like, that dog. Exactly, yeah. And so it's the same thing. And now we see Darling. And usually they do afternoon walks. And Darling's knitting. And she's knitting pink booties. And Lady's wanting to go for a walk. And brings the leash. Brings the ball. You know, and she doesn't want to play. And then Lady, like, tries to play with the ball of yarn. And she swats. Yeah, she gets swatted. Um, because yeah. she tells her no, not right now, and Lady's like, it didn't. The look on Lady's face, it like kills yeah. me when she gets swatted. We find out that she's like, you know, it didn't hurt, but like something is up, and it's something I've done. She just thinks it's something she's done, and then that's when Trusty and Jock oh. are trying to explain that, like, and then they say all humans, which I didn't love that line, but again, it's a different time. But saying that all humans eventually have kids is, is basically what <laughs> they describe to her and have babies. Uh, and then that's when Tramp comes by, hears them talking about babies. And, and just barges in. I love his voice, though, of the human. Oh, yeah. The voice of, like, the shrieking mother. They did another thing yeah. in, the, in the documentary about that, about how, like, if you watch him, there's a difference in how they animate the dogs and the humans, and that looks like a Disney human for, like, a second. Yeah, it's like, really rah, rah, rah. good. Like, you'll see that elsewhere, probably in, like, so I think Sword in the Stone is where they're talking about, oh, but it looks a little more like a Disney human for yeah. just a second. We did I, to go back for just like ten seconds. Oh, yeah. We did skip over Trusty and Jock trying to explain to Lady like the birds about and the bees. yes, and Trusty's like you know the birds and the bees, uh, the stork, and then uh, Jock is like darling's going to have a wee bairn and lady's yeah. like a what <laughs> yeah and she's just so confused she doesn't really understand babies and then you've got tramp coming in saying that they're home wreckers so she's got these two very different opinions and um that's when you first hear from the moment he meets her he calls her pigeon so yeah. that becomes mm-hmm. like her nickname to tramp and then we see the calendar and jim deer circles it the whole month of april he circles and so then we're like flipping through the months and in January you see this scene in the middle of the night where Jim Deere uh, opens the door and it's all this snow and he's like, are you sure you want watermelon? Oh, I about and that. I was like, where are they finding watermelon in January in, in, in 1909 or 1908? Yeah. <laughs> like that seems like a tall order and she wanted chopped suey I, too. I feel like both of that, those that things... That is like really dates itself. Yeah. But, but I think both of those things are more prevalent in the uh 50s because they started being a big deal with like watermelons probably easier i'm thinking pineapple but like chop suey like i don't think they really did like chinese food in the 1908 did they like americanized chinese food i don't know that's true it feels like a like a you know the christmas story where they go to the chinese restaurant on christmas because they burn everything that's what it feels like i don't know but again it's 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 the 1908 through a 1950s lens that's a good point and so then I think it's February is the baby shower. And so then this is where you see the perspective of Lady because we never actually see any of the faces of the humans. But you've got all the women gathered and talking and talking about how great Jim Deere looks. And then I like when you go into the room with all the men, they talk about how terrible he looks and how it's going to all be yes. okay. Uh, and then, They're like, don't worry, Doc Watson hasn't lost a father yes, yet. It was yeah. so like antiquated, uh-huh. you know, just stereotypes about dad's roles uh so then april comes around and we find out that it's a boy so um we find that out because jim Deere's on the phone to aunt sarah telling him what's going on and as the doctor Ooh. leaves then ryan is like they had the baby in the house and i was like <laughs> yeah like that was a thing for and a he's long just leaving time now? Like, like nothing i mean and it's ha- it happens quite commonly now again but that yeah. used to be like yeah what would happen but 
Um, so then you hear the baby crying, and that's when you kind of hear this sing-songy uh, narration of lady, lady questioning out, yeah. what is a baby and trying to figure out and being very hesitant and going up the stairs following the baby crying. And um, she comes upon Darling with the bassinet, and it's beautifully lit. Like, the, the way that the light is coming through the window, and it's just a really uh, pretty animation. But Lady goes up to look at her, and you can see that they trust Lady. They're not worried that Lady's going to hurt the baby, because mm-hmm. Jim Deere puts her paws up on the bassinet, and they pull the blanket back so she can look at the baby. Uh, and can she's I... wagging her tail. Did the baby look weird to anybody else? Like, it looked a little more like they had a picture of a baby and kind of, like, yes. traced yeah. over it but, or something. So from a young age, I've always thought that baby looked weird. I, noticed... I thought the baby looked like they like they drew a picture of a doll. Yeah, well, I think it's a similar thing. Earlier when they put the newspaper down, I think that was real newspaper almost. Or they... Re, like tried to draw over real newspapers instead of creating their own. Mm. I don't know. I hadn't well, seen. Well, yeah, because they created their own newspaper when he's reading it, and that looked very different. Different than the newspaper, than the newspaper. that yeah, was laid exactly. down. Exactly. And but yeah. the, that newspaper looked similar to this baby's head, and I was just like, it. It looked like. Uh, if you ever watched Monty Python's Flying Circus, either of you? No. I mean, bits and pieces. Well, where they do the 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 cutouts, and it's like the weird pictures of like venus de milo but they give her like beefy arms and stuff oh yeah that's what it looked yes. like to me like a, a something they'd drawn back over and colored in differently yeah i i, I agree to go back to what tara is saying like they, they like you know show her that she's important i feel like that was might have been not super common back then where like yeah. you know the dog was part of your family i feel like even back then it was more like the dog was a pet it was almost an object mm-hmm. and so like them saying like no, like, we know things have changed, but, like, we still want you, we want you to be involved with this baby and, like, all these different things. I just feel like it means so much to Lady. And I often, like, a lot of my friends, if they've started to have kids, if they have a dog, I'm always like, what are you doing? So Like, before the baby to prepare the dog for, like, this change. I just want to throw this out there because I don't know where you got it. You got it from, maybe you've gotten it somewhere else. Maybe it's something you thought of on your own. But no, the, it's a fr- The baby blanket yeah, bring you to home? Yeah, a friend did this. Yeah. And it's a very close family friend of mine. When her first daughter was born, they brought the, her mother went home to take care of their dog and brought the baby blanket home from the hospital so the dog could smell. And I think it's a somewhat common thing to do oh, okay. to get like the scent yes. of the baby. Well, I thought you were very smart, Tara. <laughs> I thought, well, I talk about it mm-hmm. a lot to people who have dogs because it's not something I would have immediately thought of. Yeah, same and here. I think it's a really smart idea to do that. And then the dog becomes like familiar with the scent of the baby. So then when the baby comes home. Yeah. Yeah. The dog's already like accepted it. So some of my friends, they have a, um, a husky and um, or no he's a malamute Um, so he's about like 95 pounds and when they got pregnant they like read books on it because they were like we are you know we're obsessed with him and so that's gonna obviously change so they started like when they came home from work they wouldn't really pay a lot of attention to him for the first 15 minutes like they give him a little pat and then they would move about the house because they're like that's how it's gonna be when we come home from work we're gonna have to like unload all the baby stuff and like change diapers and stuff and they also downloaded from a like on amazon um sounds of babies crying and would play it oh, so that huh. so he could get used to the pitch <laughs> yeah. um and as far a as nice I, relaxing cd <laughs> as far as i know like the dog's name is luke um as far as i know luke has like been doing fine um and likes to like either kind of just is unfazed or will like nap in the baby's nursery and stuff so so we then see this scene it's all the baby clothes out on the clothesline and then they're they're packing up jim deer and darling are packing up and it appears they're going on a trip 
And, you know, Darling doesn't want to leave the baby. He's so young. And Lady, this is where we see her being very protective of the baby. She's very, she thinks they're leaving the baby and she doesn't understand. And she's pretty upset with them. And then that's when we meet Aunt Sarah. The biggest heel, the most <laughs> The despicable. worst if you're, if you're a dog lover, she is the absolute worst. She is the worst. Although I have to say, I know this is 1908 and made in 1955. Jim and Darling are like, hey, Aunt Sarah, no instructions from us. Yeah. <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah. They do just kind of like peace out. And so well, Aunt- it feels like they were going to leave whether she would got there on time yes, or not. Yes, they were like <laughs> ready to go regardless. We'll leave yeah, the door but- unlocked. <laughs> Yeah, but Aunt Sarah, you know, she opens the door and is, like, in a huff because she was running late, and the door slams and hits uh, Lady. So from moment one, you can tell that Aunt Sarah does not care. Uh, And so that's when we get an intro into the cats. Sigh and am. Yes, uh, we get an intro into the Siamese cats, and uh, they're in a basket, and then that's when the song We Are Siamese uh, plays. Super problematic song now, but so catchy. Like, yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. We were talking about this with the, like, eh, yeah, I think the problem is the song and the problem is the and voice. And the problem is the the language that yes. as they're talking. The, like, broken English like, and, like. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Here's the thing. I think if they did Siamese cats in the new one, I haven't seen the live action, but if they did them with the Siamese cats and they were flat out, like, and they spoke Thai and also broken English, I feel like that would be so much better. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, or just do, or just hello. not do a voice. Yeah. yeah but like, if you're going to do a voice and you're going to do a specifically a Thai voice, hire Thai actors. Yeah. Well, and so I don't know if y'all noticed, but in the description on Disney plus, it says, you know, this program is presented as originally created. It may contain mm-hmm. outdated cultural depictions. And I was like, Hmm, could we be talking well, about the Siamese cats? Yeah. Just, just wait for our Peter warning. Pan. That's the same warning they give for Peter Pan. And there really should be more of a warning. For yeah. Peter Pan because we talk it's about the it. whole movie, not just mm-hmm. like, this is like one scene, right? Yeah. yeah. You could take this scene out. I mean, I guess there's not, other cultural there's other issues, cultural but... issues, but not quite. I think to this yeah, yeah, extent, exactly. Not as but, offensive um, as that is. So basically, though, we do get the personality of the cats, where like they are very mischievous, right? They are, and they've. I that's when you realize that they have a lot of animals in the house. They've got a bird in a bird cage. Yep. They've got a fish, and they've got a dog. And no so, instructions to Aunt Sarah about all these animals. No, <laughs> about the animals, or like. Or is Aunt Sarah bringing her cats? I don't think that was discussed. But they're also in a basket, so I think Aunt Sarah was bringing them regardless of if she was told yes Yes. or no. Mm -hmm. So we find out that the cats, they hear the baby cry, and that signals that there's milk nearby. And so they want to do that. And so that's when Lady comes to try to protect the baby again as they're going up the stairs, and there's all this commotion, and they kind of get into this fight. And when Aunt Sarah comes down, of course... She goes, dotes on the cats. Oh, my poor well, babies. The, the and cats pretend like yes, they've been that's hurt right. like Lucifer. They pretend like they, yes, like Lucifer. That's right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Which I think is such a good bit of them doing something and then going, Aah! Yeah, like, yeah. So they're very shaking cunning. shaking their tails. They're very cunning like Lucifer to making it, spinning the story. And then that's when Aunt Sarah says that wicked animal and takes, uh, takes her to the pet store. So that's when she goes to the pet store with Lady to get her a muzzle. And then they're gone for the rest of the movie. The cats. Yeah, we yeah. never see. Them yeah, we again. never see them again. <laughs> like, Which where where were they when the like... rat was in the house? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so she goes to get the muzzle for Lady, and of course, as Lady's getting fitted, she runs away. She's like very upset, and they fit her for it, so it's on her. But she runs away, and then there are all these dogs chasing her, and you find out that she's kind of in the the, the rail yard. Tramp comes to the rescue when all these dogs are like mm-hmm. coming at her. 
This was the scene you and I talked about where the animators actually got a lamp on the floor and were like fighting each other by the like and looking of all at the, the shadows. Oh, yeah, in the animation really you see all the all the shadows of the dogs fighting. Which and apparently, I looked really another cool. animator came by and saw him and was just like, "What are you guys doing?" Yeah. Uh, but then he takes her to the zoo, and I love this whole sequence at the zoo to try to get the muzzle off. And he's so clever, and he's such a good salesman. Like, I you can just tell, like, he's always got an angle. The scene with the gopher, uh, or beaver, beaver, is... Yeah. It's a gopher in Winnie the Pooh. Yes, okay. the gopher is based on the beaver. Noise. Yeah, is based on It's this guy. one of my favorite scenes in this movie, and has one of my yeah. favorite lines when he's trying to yell over the gopher uh, chopping the wood, and he go- and then he, the gopher stops, and he's still yelling, and the gopher says, I ain't deep, sonny! Yeah. Yes. I uh, die! Yes. <laughs> Vo- voiced by Stan Freeberg, who was a big comedian and actor at the time, uh, did a bunch of, has done a bunch of, I can't remember which one specifically, but if you if you're a, a, a music comedy nerd like I am, and you have a Doctor Demento CD, I I promise you there's a Stan Freeberg song on it. Well, and also I read that the whistling he did himself for a while, and then found it kind of I don't know if exhausting is the right word, but he found it it became problematic to keep doing it, and then they eventually gave him a whistle. And so the, he eventually does it with an actual. And it's whistle. one of those like circle pieces of plastic with the thing in it. It's like woo that does yeah, like that. Yeah. So he because he did it again on the documentary and he screwed it up and he felt so embarrassed because he goes, <laughs> oh, I just did it like this, and then he screwed it up and he goes, ah, take two, and he does it and they kept it all in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but the whole bit with the beaver is so good and him trying to move this log and then, you know, Tramp doesn't really miss a beat. And he's like, well, we've got the, the thing for you. And that's when he goes into his wholesale. Tramp has got some street pitch. smarts. He knows he's he, endeared himself yeah. to all these families. He knows how to get somebody to, people to do stuff for him. So, yeah, he's got it down. And so they advertise it to him. He gets the muzzle off of her and he tries it out himself. And, you know, he's like, before I pay for it, I don't know how he was going to pay for it, but before I pay for it, I want to try it out. And I love that lady catches on and says it's a free sample. So she kind of like joins in in the sales pitch. Uh, And then this is when we, Tramp introduces us to all of his families, like his families of the week and what they serve. Uh, The Irish family that serves corned beef. And I forget the family before that. The German family. There's a lot of ethnic, like, (laughs) stereotypes. I wanted to point out the cop in the front of the... uh, the zoo was Irish and had a big red nose. The red nose usually being a typical indication of over drinking. Yes. So. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the Not whole diversion to get them into the yeah. zoo in the first place. Yeah. Uh, so he uh, tells her, you know, he loves being footloose and collar free and he has just <laughs> the place for them to go. And so he brings her to Tony's and that's when you pointed out and I didn't catch that when, he brings her around, and is it Tony? There's like big. Are you talking about this the lettuce or no, something else? No, okay. I'm talking about. There's big about... crates of lettuce in the back, and just I don't think you should leave lettuce in an alley like that. But no, you know, I was no, talking about. Nice eight's food standards were just different from ours. A little bit different, yeah. No, Tony says you should settle down with this one. Yeah, but she yes. questions. You you missed it because you thought they they were he was making fun of uh, Italian, which. 
these are both clearly two not Italian guys, really yeah. Italian. Yeah. In, in, yeah, he's like, you settle down with this a one. And she's like, and Lady says, like, this, this a one. This a one. Yeah. So yeah. that's kind of our first notion that like, this isn't the first lady dog uh, that he's brought to Tony's. But I love that they like set up the whole alley for him. They set up a table and a candle and they give him a menu. But then my question to Ryan was, <laughs> is the restaurant closed or like, are there people dining and they're just like catering to the dogs? I just found it so funny to think of like, that there's people inside who are waiting yeah. on them to serve them their food. I thought, I will say, I mean, obviously no confirmation, but I always thought that it was like close to that. Like they were, they were just yeah, not yeah. cleaning it's up for the night. Time. Yeah. And, and maybe no, they were going to have spaghetti sense. and meatballs after their shift. And that's why they had some like at the ready. Well, yeah. they also probably had it left over. Like I'm sure they, they, when they have a special like that, they cook it all. In yeah. Oh yeah. Time and no. Then, yeah. And yeah. And it makes sense. I just, it's kind of funny to think about that, but yeah. yeah so uh, our entrees take you a long time. Oh, well, it's <laughs> yes, exactly. two dogs yeah. in the back. Something uh, I looked up and I think was important to, to, to let everyone know. Uh, in its plain form, pasta is unlikely to harm your dog, especially in moderation. However, it is worth being careful as some pets have weed allergies and are sensitive to grains. Pasta has very minimal nutritional value as well. So while it isn't poisonous, it shouldn't be a regular part of your dog's diet. So Tramp may be in for it a little bit later since he gets pasta on the regular right now. Yeah, yeah, he's not uh, getting a very – that's why he looks a little scrawny. Yeah, but uh, – well, that's good to know. Thank you for You're that. You're welcome. I just didn't want anybody going – Let's go. Let's go feed our dogs some spaghetti and meatballs. I'm definitely making Lady a plate of spaghetti and meatballs sometimes. Just, just don't put any garlic and onions in it because you know that's like yes. toxic for dogs. That was yeah. another thing I was thinking. I was like, how much garlic and onions in that? <laughs> but then that's where we hear Bella Note again. So Tony starts singing with the accordion, and Joe brings out. I think it's a mandolin, but he brings out like a stringed uh, instrument, and they're singing. And then of course that's the very famous scene where they're eating the noodles and their nose kiss. Uh, so then we kind of see this whole scene of them walking through the park and they're sitting and watching the moon. Um, before they're walking through the park, they put their paw prints in the cement. And I think, Laurel, that's what you were saying is outside of the restaurant, the initials J.M. and E.B. Um, so I went back through on Facebook and found the photo and it's it's just the the initials aren't there. It's just the paw oh, prints okay. with the arrow the going prints. through the heart. Cool. Oh, that's sweet. I wonder what J.M. I'm going to look that up. I, I think I read somewhere that it, was representing somebody but i can't remember who yeah. but yeah so we go through this whole scene and i like when they're sitting up on the moon that they zoom out and you see other couples in carriages like who are also like kind of just yes stargazing i guess yes uh and then that's when then they wake up together and i love talking about we were talking about her ears earlier her ear is like flopped over his head i know up, which I was just... so sweet and you had something ryan about how they wanted to depict that they had spent the night together, but yeah, they were they trying were, not to. They were to... trying not to be risque, but it was like, they were talking about how essentially this is like the first time you see like love interests in a Disney movie, like going to sleep together. I, like even though it's two yeah, dogs no. and it's in the park, but yeah, 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 yeah. And she's pregnant like later. So yeah, she yeah. has pups. So, um, but yeah, so basically when they wake up, he's just trying to get her to leave and go on adventures and is trying to show her, like, look at what's beyond, like, the town, the neighborhood you live in. There's so much out there. And her immediate reaction is, but who would watch over the baby? So she's still so protective of the baby. And then as they're headed back, Ryan loved the way he said, ever chase chickens? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said it, like, five like, times. Ever chase, ever chase chickens? <laughs> Uh, and so then there's this scene where they're running around and they're chasing chickens. And then that gets kind of intense quickly because then the owner of the chickens comes out and starts shooting at them. 
Yes. Uh, so starts things escalate. <laughs> yeah, things escalate quickly and things get very chaotic and they're running away. And of course, he's like not really thinking about her and he's just running. And uh, she winds up getting caught by the pound. Uh, and so she gets caught. And then that's when we go into seeing the dog pound and all the dogs singing home sweet home and it's such a good bit all of the dogs singing together like a barbershop quartet they they are a kind of a, a yeah. quartet it's it's the mellow men anytime it's the dog singing it's a group called the mellow men of which uh podcast favorite thorough ravenscroft the voice of the you're a mean one mr grinch and on uh, haunted mansion is one of the one of the dogs that's great uh so then yeah and i like that you've got doxy you've got uh the Dachshund has a uh, German. a German accent. Mm-hmm. Yes, and he's digging the hole to yes. try to escape to get them out. Two more choruses. Yeah, so yes. he's like, uh, so they're like signaling to one another, and then um, Boris is the philosopher, and he's Russian, right? Mm-hmm. Boris Russian, is Russian wolfhound, I believe. And then Peg is what kind of breed do we think Peg is? Uh, I don't know. She you just, think she's like a she mutt? She's looks, like a mix? We'll get to this character later, la- Later, but she kind of looks like Gurgi from the Black Cauldron. But she also is just like, her tongue is always hanging out. Yeah. It just looks, because she's, she's supposed to look kind of a little a little, little sexy, yeah. a little like mm-hmm. whatever, but then it's like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> but that's when, when Lady gets dropped off into the pound, they all start giving her a hard time because they Wait, see did, her did, collar. Did, y'all, see her did you already mention Pedro the Chihuahua? Did I miss that? Oh no, I did I did not mention him. I forgot about him. He is one who I guess could be probably I guess really if you think of it, they're all the stereotype of that. Hey, just wait till, just wait till Cheech Marin as the Chihuahua and Oliver. Oh company. yeah, that's true. I, I mean I, the only um, part about Pedro that I found a little offensive when he's like, My sister Rosita Chiquita and he's like saying all these different he's like Rosita yes. Chiquita Chihuahua and I was like, Okay. And then he's yeah. like, if I can even remember or something yeah. like, I can't even remember. Yeah. Uh, but then the, it gets, it gets real sad here for a moment because they talk about Nutsy mm-hmm. and about how he's taking the long walk through the one way door. And so I, I'm assuming oh, that, yeah. that he was put down. Oh yeah. I think, I think that was also a cool way of doing it with the shadow. So you yes. don't like see a dog go yeah. back. But also yeah, he, he looks kind of happy. It. Like, oh, he doesn't know where he's going almost. And yeah. I was treating here. Yeah. And maybe that's why they called him Nutsy. Maybe he was like aloof and didn't really like, wasn't really uh, understanding what was happening. But, uh, but they, so they see that Doxy goes back to digging and then they start talking about the tramp and how like he always you know, is able to get away and talks about all his lady dogs. And then that's when Peg starts singing my favorite song. Peg is a, a Pekingese, by the way. A Pekingese. Oh, that was going to be, I was going to guess she was part Pekingese. So she sings He's a Tramp, which is my favorite song in this movie. Uh, and then it, it kind of, that's how Lady finds out that pretty much every lady dog out there is in love Fifi with him. Fifi and uh, what were all their names? Trixie. I don't remember their names. Trixie, Trixie was one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, so it goes through all of that. And then, uh, they must've called aunt Sarah and aunt Sarah at this point Ugh. takes her back. And then we see that lady is now in the doghouse and she's chained up outside and is not allowed inside. And then this is where trusty and jock come back and they're talking about how they're going to give her a proposition. Basically they're going to offer her marriage. Yeah. So she can live with them. Like they have a comfortable home. They feel like their owners would be welcome and she'd be appreciated. And like true story. It was not until like in the past five to 10 years that I realized that they were talking about going to propose to her. And I find, okay. What are y'all's thoughts on that part? First, I thought they knew she was pregnant. (laughs) 
from being with Tramp. So yeah. I thought they were like going We've to make, make like an a, honest woman. Yeah, and I was like, whoa. Yeah. No, like, I didn't have that pretty. thought. I didn't have that And then that they're just like, either. so you can come live with us. And I was like, oh, well, this is just weird. Like that's yeah. so. I, I, for some yeah. reason, I find it's, this is just what I love. This whole rich, full world of like dogs, friendships that they've created that they're like, well, of course we must take our friend out of this bad situation. And the only way we can do this properly is by marrying her. And then Jacques well, is like, whichever one of us she picks will be the best of friends. Yeah. Exactly, like, well, we're not going to be upset. If I love how earnest they are. Yeah. yeah, and not to skip to the end about the dog friendships, but at the end, Jock and Trusty are invited over for Christmas. Yes. Their owners are not. Are not, oh, yeah. yeah, no. yeah. I, that was the observation. Like, yeah, I turned around and I was like... How would you feel for, like, like hey, hey, drop Leo off and... Uh, so my, well, my friend, one of my friends in DC who Leo and I lived with last summer, she got a corgi puppy um, during this pandemic, and... Eleanor has a playmate, George Michael, another corgi mix on the street, who comes over by himself. Just comes over and sits on <laughs> Carolyn's front porch, and Carolyn will be like, so "Oh, funny. George Michael's over to play." Yeah, that's yeah. That was one thing I turned to Ryan and I was like, "What a weird like thing that like all the dogs just are, can come and go in these houses, but mm-hmm. the owners don't really socialize." What a world I want to live in. Yeah, uh, right. I mean, uh, if, I, if Leo wouldn't run away, I'd be like, sure, go down the street and play at someone's house. But I would not have a dog yeah. anymore. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh, so then, you know, but we can see, I will say from this, even though it's kind of a weird moment, they are very protective of her. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they want to protect her. They want to care for her. They feel really bad about her situation. And then that's when Tramp comes in. And so that's when all three of them turn their backs to him. He's trying to apologize to Lady. He brings her a bone. Um, and then he calls her a trick. At one point, she excuses. I wonder Jacques if that and, meant what it means. Yeah, yeah, she excuses Jacques and Trusty to be like, "No, I've got this. It's okay. I appreciate it, or whatever." And then she really lets them have it. And I say, "Good for her." She like <laughs> really gives it to him and is like, "Who are all these other dogs?" Like in his defense, like it's not like it was he met her and then all these other dogs. True. Yes. I think he should have said something. He, like he, he should have been and open. Dined her. Yes. Like, like with spaghetti and meatball, like no, with he's, this, he's spaghetti and meatballer, and we all know that is some serious. <laughs> oh my god! But he also like we mark we mark the first time we met, our first kiss, and the first time we had spaghetti and meatballs. meatballs. <laughs> so he, but he also, you know what I mean? Like that was his his shtick. Was, yeah. So like, I think that's I... more of what she was upset about is that, and that like he didn't come look for her, or he didn't like. He seemed a little carefree, like, hey, I brought you a bone. We're cool now, right? Even though you went to the pound. Yeah, and yeah. he knew she was at the pound. I think he was being aloof, but I also, like... I mean, that's his character yeah. trait, I yes. guess. Yes, we yeah. can't expect him to have changed literally overnight, so... Yeah, right. true. So, uh, so he goes away after she kind of lets him have it, and then that's when the rat sneaks back into the yard, and so Lady goes crazy, and she's trying to get it, and she's tied up. So it climbs up to the roof, and of course Aunt Sarah opens the door and just yells at Lady because she's barking and she doesn't want her to wake up the baby. And what the did rat, I say that made you? The rat laugh. goes through the window, and Ryan was like, "Aunt Sarah, why do you have the baby's window open in a rainstorm? You dumb dumb." Yeah, no, you go, you go. Yeah, I can't believe she goes. Aunt Sarah is a, a dumb dumb. Like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know why Jim Deere and Darling were like, you know, who should come mind our house and I our know. child and our dog. Yeah. Elderly Aunt Sarah, who doesn't seem to have a good head on her shoulder. Here's here's the thing. To... I feel like at a certain point of having an infant, you're like anybody, kook babysit anybody, Aunt yeah. Sarah. But uh, we gotta but, get out of here. But yeah, so the the rat goes up into the window and um, 
Tramp hears all of the commotion with Lady and so he comes, she lets him know about the rat, so he goes into the house. Uh, and then when the fight between him and the rat, the lighting is really Pretty great. Intense. The way they do that, it's really intense, and I just like the way it's animated As a, a child, I those. found that whole scene very, I mean, not frightening to the oh, point yeah. that I wouldn't watch the movie anymore, but just very frightening and suspenseful. Yeah, yeah, no, and it still gives you that feeling, I think, when they you watch give- it. Tramp kind of crazy eyes. Like he's got like red lined and yellow eyes. Like yeah. he looks like the, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. And so lady at that point, she breaks free, the chain snaps and the rats on the baby's crib. And so then that's when the crib gets knocked over. The dog's and, trying to go after. And I very like, Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I made like a, Oh, the baby. Yeah. And so that's when aunt Sarah wakes up. So when the of crib course. gets knocked yeah. over, Apparently she went back to sleep in between the time she (laughs) like yelled at them. Uh, But she wakes up and then Tramp is hurt. You can tell that Tramp got hurt in this whole thing. And she sees, of course, the dogs, the baby's crib. And she immediately um, freaks out, freaks out and takes the broom and boots them into the closet well boots him into tramp the closet, into the closet and her into the basement yeah and it's funny because they're both standing there like didn't we do a good thing and like yeah they're, they're like, like looking at each to other like, like we're back together yeah. or yeah um or given a good job and then that's when she's on the phone with the pound about tramp and she says you should destroy the animal at once yeah when they get him yeah, yeah. like not kill it destroy it like it's a yeah table. yeah i guess it's when they come to pick him up but Ugh. um but yeah so that's when Jim Deere and Darling come home and they see the dog pound carriage in front of their house and they don't know what's wrong. And then the dog pound guy is like, oh, we're just picking up a stray. Apparently it went after a baby. Yeah, it said caught caught him attacking a baby is what the guy says. And they're like, oh my gosh. Yeah, so they freak out. And so then Lady is like barking like frantically and Aunt Sarah is like trying to be like, she's been no help. And and they're like, no, (laughs) she's trying to tell us something. I think that's when you called her a dum-dum again. But they're like, no, she's trying to tell us something. So that's when Lady reveals the rat. She takes them upstairs, shows them that there was a rat. We don't actually ever see the rat. I'm assuming the rat is dead. Yes. But we I, don't actually yeah, see Yeah, I, th- I think they do want to show us a mangled rat body. That's probably why they don't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's probably why they don't show it. Um, and so then uh, Trusty and Jock, they realize they've misjudged Tramp. And so that's when they go to try to go after the wagon. And Jock is like, well, how are we going to be able to find the wagon? And Trusty's like, well, I've got the scent. Uh, we'll follow it. That moment when Jock says, we both know you, you've lost your sense of smell. And Trusty yeah. looks at him like, and, and that he doesn't say anything. He yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so good. And he's like, absolutely not. And like, but that's the thing. He doesn't say anything. He doesn't anything. say anything. It's but so that's, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, like well animated, like mm-hmm. good character moment. I just love it. Yeah. I, again, all of this is leading up to this is why Trusty gets to have that terrible joke at the end is because he does so good previous. I to love Trusty. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say uh, you need to. You were in the Trusty fan cool club it. here, so yeah, you need to cool it on Trusty. But anyway, he starts howling. They do find the wagon. They distract the dog catcher, and they wind up the carriage flips over. So as that's happening, you also see Jim Deere and Darling pull up with Lady in their carriage, I guess, yeah. and um, Lady goes up to Tramp, and then that's when we find. Excuse me. We find out that Trusty got under the wheel of the carriage mm-hmm. when they were causing all this commotion. So and in that moment, you don't know if he makes it or not. Yeah, because Trusty mo- is, I mean, quick- he is lifeless under the yeah. wheel. And Jacques does the saddest howl. Yes. 
Yeah. That if it's you like don't a pretty somber scene. If you don't know what happens, like you're crying at that point. Exactly. Well, two things. One, I think they jump right to the happy scene, which is a little because they're like, Christmas time <laughs> you know, like immediately after that. Yeah. But two, originally they I think they wanted to have jo- uh uh trusty die there. And there was a guy in the documentary who's like, oh, it should have happened. That would have been such a much better. Like, and it was like, dude, this is a Disney documentary. Like, why did we keep this guy's thoughts on how one of the characters should have just died at the end? Yeah, and and I I think they made the right choice in him showing up. So this is when what we were talking about, it goes, now it's kind of come full circle. We go up to the Christmas tree. We see Tramp has a collar. And then there are four puppies. There are three um, and, and, that are ladies' yeah. breed and one that is his breed. The way they always do this in cartoons when, like, two different-looking characters have children. Like, all of them, they don't look, like, the only time they did it is... That with, they look mixed versus, like, looking... Well, they look like they're mean? either the dad or the yes. mom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As opposed to, remember Ichabod when all of his sons and daughters Had all really looked like... Had really big Ichabod. noses, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so, yeah, that's when, you know, we find out that they've had puppies and the baby is now crawling and is older. Mm. And that's when we were talking about how Jacques and Trusty come over without their owners for Jacques Christmas. Jacques's got a sweet Christmas sweater. Got a great yes, Christmas sweater. And, and Jim Deere is like, good. company. And he's exactly, like. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. That, that's when I made that comment that I was like, it's such an interesting world. And, and uh, he, he, says, we... he tells Darling to get the dog biscuits that Aunt Sarah sent. So Aunt Sarah yes. turned over a new leaf. Okay. I wrote that okay. down because I said that to Ryan. I was like, did you hear that? Aunt Sarah bought dog biscuits. So or she might have, or they might have been the cheapest thing at the store and she sucks. No, and that's I why. think she realized that lady was trying to You're be right. Helpful. I didn't realize you were such an Aunt Sarah apologist. Well, but I think in I'm 1908, dog biscuits were probably not cheap and there were probably not a lot of options. So I think yeah. it was nice of her to think of lady. Uh-huh. I, I what what is your basis for that statement like about dog biscuits not being cheap? Just out of curiosity. Well, cuz if like, you think about 1908 like it was the bare necessities that you got it. Anything that was considered like an extravagance was like you washed your hair like once a month cuz shampoo was so expensive. So <laughs> Did you? I didn't know that. Well, I know that in Meet Me in St. Louis, which was set in 1903, at the beginning of the movie Judy Garland and her sister are going to wash their hair and it's a big deal. Her sister goes downtown to get the shampoo there and they can't be like mother, but tonight we are washing our hair. So they act like they don't do it very often. Yeah. Okay. I was just, I, I didn't mean to call you out on that. I was just like, you're like, also, well, dog I've, biscuits I've doing, were expensive in 1908. I was like, why do you know that? I've, like, I've been doing market research on dog biscuits over the past <laughs> yeah. 130 years. But that's essentially, I mean, that's pretty much where it ends. We kind of see them, um, you know, the puppies playing and we see like the whole family. And, well, and we come full circle on Trusty's joke when he goes up to ladies yes. puppies and says, you know. I, like, I don't reckon if I ever told you about my time with old reliable. And they go, no, you haven't, Uncle Trusty, which is one of my mom's and my favorite parts. And then he starts to yeah. tell the story of old reliable and realizes he doesn't remember, remember it. it. Yeah. Uproarious laughter. Okay. So let's do our questions. Mm-hmm. So how was the princess? And I think the princess in this case was Lady. She's great. I loved Lady. I wish she would have been part of the, like, let's chase down the... Uh, cab at the end but i think she's so protective of the baby i don't know that she would have but she didn't but she also wanted to be with but she shows up at the end she's like yeah with her owners because i think it's like it's okay that but it's lady in the tramp like the the thing that the last big like rescue scene is you're rescuing one of the characters with two side characters that was my only complaint i liked her a lot better i thought she was so cute and adorable when it was like the scenes where where she wasn't 
it was her and the owners, mm-hmm. so it was all kind of pantomime. Yeah. I thought that was good. Laura, what do you think? I, I think she does a – they do a really good job of demonstrating a dog's love for their family from the dog's point of view and also how singular a dog's focus is. Like, when Jim, mm-hmm. Deer, and Darling are going on vacation, Lady is just like, abandonment. You are leaving the baby. I am angry. And, like, you know, she just shifts emotions, like, one at a time. Um, I also like to basically kind of watch her grow up a little bit. Like, she's pretty naive at the beginning, and she's like, oh, like, everything's great. I love a Jim, Deer, and Darling. And then it's like, oh, no, circumstances can change. You could get lost. You could end up in the pound. And I think that she just kind of grows up a little bit. Becomes a little bit more worldly. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. Like, it reminded me a little bit of Bambi when, mm. like, when we watch Bambi, you know, you're learning along with him. And I think the same is true for Lady. She's learning about the world as she's kind of living it. Uh, how is the prince, Tramp? I like Tramp a lot. Yeah, I really like Tramp a lot. I like Tramp, too, because he's not a prince. He's, I mean, he's a mutt. He's a street dog. And he's, yeah, um, I I, I do find him annoying sometimes. Like, when he just rolls rolls in with a bone after she gets back from the pound. And it's like, hey, girl, what's up? Brought you a bone. Like, yeah, I'm like, yeah, dude, you suck. Yeah, but I think he has to have somewhere to go. Like, especially since we've run into a few princes who just were like, didn't really have much of a story or an arc and all, you know, like the, yeah, we the really got Cinderella to see Prince his and... lifestyle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I like, I know y'all are doing um, Sleeping Beauty next. Prince Philip is one of my favorite princes. Cause he actually like has a personality. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how were the sidekicks? Oh, uh, let's, I, I love Jock and, so and, and Trusty. Trusty. Jock are so good. Like I said, I didn't like Trusty's joke, but other than that, uh, I, I love them so much. Yeah, no, they were fantastic. And they, are throughout the movie, you know, like yeah. sometimes sidekicks come and go, but I liked your comparison to the mice. Like they're pretty solid throughout like the mice are. In yeah. Uh, what was y'all's favorite musical number? Laurel, we'll start with you. Oh my gosh. Uh, I, I almost want to like ask you to like pass for a second. Um, Cause I, I love them all, but uh, I, I do. It's problematic. I know I do really like the Siamese cat song. Um, I also really like the song that opens and closes at the Peace My Children piece, which y'all got to hear me sing along to when we were watching it together. <laughs> um, I just think, I think it's like a beautiful song, but I also love He's a Tramp. So uh, yeah, that was all of, the, all of them, all of them. Oh, for me, it's He's a Tramp. I love that song so much. And I've been singing it for weeks because I've, before I started redoing my office, I was doing a Disney puzzle, which I've been keeping the listeners up to date on on the Facebook page. And I will again. It's almost done, but <laughs> I took under a break a pile from it. Of it's under a pile now. of stuff that my office has to go back in my office. But that song came on while I was I was listening to Disney music, putting it together. And it's been in my head for several weeks oh, it's now. So so it's so good. That's my good. favorite. Did it, uh, did Bella, Bella Note all day, all night here, guys. Oh, yeah. oh yes. <laughs> Did um did any song from this movie win best song at the Oscars? Do y'all know? No, it was actually not nominated for anything <sighs> at the Oscars. It was nominated for a couple different awards and other awards ceremonies. Uh, we got our usual "How does it hold up?" questions. Uh, female character agency, I thought was fine, but it was you know we talked about there was the uh, the inclination that a typical thing a family did was have a kid. That was yeah, kind of, you and know, being but in not her really. condition and things like that. But I mean that's. It's also of the time period it yes. was set in, so it's like one of those things too. But I thought female agency, as far as Lady was concerned, I thought um, she held her own to yeah. a certain extent. Especially the part you said where she told Tramp, like, 
Yeah. Like, because she was kind of led through the story, but I think they did it as kind of a young person new to the world. Yes. And once she got, she figured stuff out. She was like, this is, here's the deal. Yeah, this isn't right. And she ran up to help with the rat. Like, she was protective mm-hmm. of, of her family. Like, I thought she was good. Yeah. Can we also point out that we never learned the baby's name? Yes. Yeah. Love it. I, baby. I, yeah, the I mean, baby. Yeah. And we, know, um, we, learned, we learned that it's a boy, and then that's it. <laughs> and then that's it. Yeah, a baby boy. We got drinking and smoking and guns and firearms. I don't think there was much of that in there. The, the gun, gun went off was at the just chicken. at the chickens. We don't ever see the gun. We hear it oh. and then just kind of see like the dirt flying yeah. from the, yeah. the blast. Okay. We t- we talked a little bit about ethnic representation in the uh, We Are Siamese song, as well as the Tonys. It's that Tony's... doesn't bother me as much. I mean, I I come from an Italian background. It doesn't bother me as much, but I can see how it could be offensive to people. I mean, it was also. I, I, yeah, I think in general across the board, there was a lot of times the the ethnicity of a character or a breed was used as a joke, and I'm not a super big fan of that. But but I they, I will say they did it across the board, so I can I guess at least give them that that yeah. they didn't focus on one specific. It was each breed of a dog had then that stereotype of an accent. Yeah. I guess is one way you could look at it, not to excuse it, but to say they kind of did that across the board with the film. The Siamese cat. Yeah, that's voice I was think is, bad. Is, yeah, well, and, and, and the lyrics of the song are bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, yeah. That whole scene is pretty problematic. Yeah. So there's things. So I don't think this is. We can recommend this as one like that. That a parent could just sit their kid down and let him go. I think the Siamese. If you extracted the Siamese cat song, you'd probably be okay. Yeah. So listeners, if you're if you've listened to this in order, uh, our last episode we put out was the uh, villains ranking episode. Um, Laurel obviously has not heard that because we haven't released it by the time of this recording. So you guys know how it works. I'm going to explain it. We're going to explain it to Laurel real quick, and then we're going to come back with our villain rankings. All right, guys, we're back. I've explained the rules to Laurel. Laurel is 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 so on board Locked with and this. Loaded. She, yes, yes, this is of course our uh, scientifically proven, completely infallible villain ranking mm-hmm. uh, system. So, guys, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Tara on the first one. Uh, for Aunt Sarah. Aunt Sarah, we are claiming, is the villain of this piece. Yes. Honestly, Lady and the Tramp didn't have a strong, like, villain presence, but we feel that she is probably the closest thing to a villain in this one. Yes. Um, first ranking, Tara, how did you rank uh, Aunt Sarah? One to five on Frightening. I gave her a two, and the reason I gave her a two is because she is, like... I think from I look at it from Lady's perspective. So mm-hmm. she didn't like super frighten Lady, but Lady like you know what I mean is like when she's in the pat went not the pound the uh, the store the pet store yes. like with the muzzle and all of that. So I gave her a little bit higher on the frightening we, scale. We for forgot that. to say this, but when she did this, I went, "Is she selling Lady?" <laughs> yeah. Ryan thought she was selling her at the dog shop. But yeah, so I gave her a two for Frightening. Laurel, what do you got for I would do two as well. I almost went three because I do think that she has some maliciousness in her towards dogs in general. Like when she calls to have Tramp taken away and you point out that she says, I think he should be destroyed immediately. Like Mm -hmm. that is just, I mean, that is like, hey, lady, you are not the person to make that call. And like you are coming from a really biased place. But three is just a little too much for what I kind of think of as like, uh, just uh, I don't know a cranky old lady <laughs> uh, I'm gonna give her a two as well I don't I think her incompetence but yet having the power over these characters is what makes her slightly frightening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny I'm gonna go ahead and give my ranking that's a one she did not amuse me at all same uh, same except that she just she brings the cats that's the only like I could put her at a two because she brings the cats and I think the cats are funny problematic but funny um, but that's not enough to sway me uh, fierce I'm also gonna give her a one 
Same. So, she had no drag queen energy same. for me. No. Uh, effective. You know, she is pretty effective. She she ultimately doesn't do it, but I, I, I at first I wanted to rank her all ones, except for I think we all know what uh, group I was going to give her a little more on. But uh, you go first here. I'm not exactly sure what okay, we're going to rate so her on effective. I was yet. debating between a three or a four, and I think I'm going to go with a four for effective mm-hmm. because I- – she she was effective at like she chains her up she gets a muzzle on her like she she makes it so lady cannot be in the house to do what lady wants to do which is protect mm-hmm. the baby so i think she's effective to that degree and she does call the pound and gets tramp taken away so people intervene during all of this but i think she's somewhat successful in what she sets out to do in that regard okay laurel um i said four as well because i think she is She's effective at everything she sets out to do, except for Tramp getting put down. Like, she gets Lady yeah, completely yeah. isolated from them. She, like, I mean, she doesn't give Lady away, but I have a feeling that when Lady gets lost, I don't think Aunt Sarah is, like, calling around to be like, has anybody no, seen the dog? No, I don't think she looked for her. I was actually surprised that she took her back. Like, I was surprised, because obviously they had to have called her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was kind of surprised that she even took her back. I, I mean, uh, maybe Aunt Sarah did have a little bit of, like, my nephew can't come home and find out that... Like, dog's yeah, that I lost exactly. his dog. Uh, I gave her a three. Design, I gave her a one. I gave her a three because if you look at Verna, if you look at the voice, she looks, she was drawn. Sim- That's a so good point. So I, I gave her a three for that. I gave her a three because she looks like the person, she was animated similarly to the person who did the voice. And I think when you think of an aunt who's maybe like Change an, mind an two. older an older kind of cranky lady, I think they get that vibe going yeah, a little good bit. Yeah, call. So. Okay, Laura, what'd you put? Uh, I gave her a one, because I think that her she's like utterly forgettable in terms of her design as a character. Uh, now we have the one I think we're all going to agree on, is go away heat. Five, I gave her a five. Day, five. <laughs> five. <laughs> I yeah. just, every moment I was like, Ugh, I was uh-huh. like seething over here. She's got, if yeah. I could give her a six, she might have the most go away heat. The only closest one we have next to him is Donald Duck's libido from <laughs> yes. Three Caballeros. Uh, yes factor. I gave a one. I didn't remember this character. I gave her a I one. I gave her a well. one. Okay, guys, we're gonna uh uh let's let's crunch those numbers. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, we have we have crunched the numbers, and Aunt Sarah is coming in at a fifteen point six, which puts her, I believe, right below Monstro, and above the three way tie of the Caddy Elephants from Dumbo. The Teddy Toddy for Make Mine Music and Willie the Giant from Fun and Fancy Free. Interesting. So, what number out of all of them is she? I believe she is. Because I know 12. there's a three way tie, but. She is 12th. 12th. Well, it's hard to tell because there's ones. So, it'd be like some above her are like tied for third, but then the next spot is fifth. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. So, she's, she's clearly the 12th ranked villain. Um, that's kind of near the bottom. Uh, Laurel, just to just to let you know, and other guys have heard this, our top three in uh, reverse order are the Headless Horseman, Captain Hook, and the Evil Queen from Snow White. I mean, yeah, the, I mean the Evil Queen from Snow White. Oof, man, they they start off strong. Yeah. So, guys, thank you so much for listening, Laurel. Thank you uh, for being here. Thanks for watching this. You're looking around like, yeah, all right. Oh, I, I didn't realize the podcast was over. I, I was waiting for us to do like a pop culture plug, like it was Craniacs. So. Well, we usually what we do is we allow, we want our guests to plug something. So, if you have something you want to plug, yeah. whether it's a personal project, whether it's uh, something you're involved with, or just uh, another whatever another you know how these work. Host, um, <laughs> yeah, another podcast yeah, you might free. be part Yeah, of. so. If you've enjoyed just listening to this banter, um, I encourage you to check out Craniacs, the other podcast that 
Ryan um, co-hosts, co-hosts with me. Tara makes some appearances, including in what will be uh, one of our more recent episodes uh, as, as our be, yes. as our resident Cheers expert. Um, and so, yeah, we'd love to have you all over there because, gosh darn it, we only talk about Frasier half the time. So the rest of the time, it's, <laughs> you know, a therapy session for Ryan. It's our greatest fears. It's our hopes and dreams. It's, you know, the latest thing I've been watching what, on Hulu. What Harry Potter house mm, we're a part of. That one of. too, yes. Um, so, which comes up far more than you would think. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but this has been so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me to call Lady and the Tramp as my episode like six months ago. <laughs> Yes, happy to have you on for sure. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. And uh, next week we will be checking out, oh man, Tara's, Tara's ultimate Get favorite. Get ready for it. The Sleeping Sle- Beauty. The Sleeping baby. Beauty? Sleeping yeah. Beauty. I am so jealous. I cannot wait to hear this episode. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. If you want to tell us your favorite Disney villain and why it's guest on, send us an email at trprincessdiaries at gmail.com. Or you can send a tweet about how great Maleficent is too at trpdiaries. Check out our Facebook group by searching for Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries. Tara and Ryan's Princess Diaries are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, and many more. Wherever you hear us, please be our knight in shining armor and give us a five-star review. Thanks again, and until next time, remember to always live happily ever after. Uh